afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes, but has some questions. And in short, the program's designed for someone just like me, because you know there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastors, the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City. Now, I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time at letstalk at kfuo.org or call during the program at area code 314-821-0850. That's in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, or anywhere in North America, toll-free at 800 730 27. Now, we have actually got a little bit of a special thing today. Not only do we have Pastor Lawrence on, who just happens to be my pastor, I'm a member of his congregation, but we also have a young man with us by the name of Ian Berger, who is with the Lutheran Volunteer, uh, Young Adult Volunteer Corps, I believe it's called, right, Ian? Uh, yes, the Lutheran oh, Young Adult Corps. Yeah. And the reason I invited uh, Ian to sit in on this program, Pastor, is, you know, I look at our congregation and I hear this from other pastors around the uh, around the country and the age of our congregates is going up and the young people are not there we're losing them yeah yeah and you know that's the future of the church we got to keep them in here right and uh ian obviously has kept in he's active in the organization uh, and one of the things i was talking uh just uh this past week with uh, pastor roosevelt gray and uh, he was he was making the same observation that we were losing the uh, younger people. And he said, one of the things that we need to do is to listen to them, ask them questions. Yeah. And so tell them why they need to be in church. Ask them why they why right. they want to be in church, why they don't want to be in church. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's where Ian comes in. <laughs> and that's where Ian comes in. <laughs> so. Yeah. So let's start. Ian, let me ask you. Uh, you are still obviously very active in the church. What kept you with it? Uh, really, it has to do with uh, both the community, just the sense of community between uh, the church members, and also uh, I happen to really enjoy uh, theology. Oh, okay. <laughs> Were your parents always active in church? Uh, yes, since I was born, my dad's a pastor. Oh, so. your dad is a pastor. Yes. Okay, okay. Um, there was a lot of catechesis going on at home? Yes, oh. all the time. All the time. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Well, what about your friends who are not uh, offsprings of pastors? Are they staying with the uh, church or are we losing them? The guys that you used to know in school who went to church with you, are they still going? Uh, I didn't go to a to church with anybody in my congregation, really. But I, I did go to uh, church with a lot of Christians. and Oh, you mean the school you went to, did they have a lot of Christians yes, there? Oh, but not many of them were Lutherans. Right? No. Okay. So you didn't go to a Lutheran school? No, I just uh, went to a public school. A public school. Yes. Oh, I see. Well, I went to a public school as well. But uh, as I was mentioning to Pastor Lawrence before the program started, 
when I was a, a young man, when I was your age, Ian, uh, I was a member of the uh, Lutheran youth group called the Walther League, which uh, no longer exists. And the league was very, very influential in my life. I mean, this was my social life. And uh, the, you know, the, it, we were involved with the congregation. We had events that mm-hmm. were designed on our own, as well, of course, religious retreats. But we also did fun things. We played uh, a church league basketball, for example. That was something I did. I was a horrible basketball player. But, <laughs> <laughs> but still, uh, but we did that. We went we on an ice skating uh Events, uh, all the things like that, and these people were really good friends, and we we always were involved in the church. We were involved with each other, and we kept this right, right. you know through through uh, through a long period of our time, through a long period of our lives, and we don't have that now that I am aware oh, of. Yeah. There is um, there is uh, if you look in our fellowship hall, there is this cabinet. And um, it has a lot of um, trophies, mm-hmm. as if um, they used to play, you know, bowling. Like you had bowling teams that played against each other or played against different churches. Did you ever experience that in the Walter League, where they had bowling teams or churches play against church with uh, in bowling or things like that? We did with softball. They with softball. We did with softball. But we played other bowling. churches, including non including non Lutheran churches. Ah, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I wondered about that when I saw all those trophies. You know, wondering mm-hmm. if um, if there was a time when uh, groups, you know, would play against each other, or churches would play against each other um, in uh, bowling and things like that. To, as one of those fellowship activities. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, I, you know, one of the things that happen with churches is, um, you know, we only just come to church on a Sunday for Bible study and for the divine service. And sometimes we don't have a lot of fellowship activities. And not only are we losing the young members, the younger members, but, um, the older ones, <laughs> um, there's just not much fellowship going on. They don't do. Mu- they don't know each other. Mm. I have they to don't plead know guilty each other. That. Yeah, I have to plead guilty. Right. You, you know, you literally have to come up with um, some kind of a pictorial with names and faces for the members to 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 know each other. Otherwise, they don't. Um, you know, often people would say to me, "What's the name of that person that sit on the?" on the pulpit side, up near to the front, and you go, oh, that must be so-and-so. And you go, how come you don't know this person? And so you're right. I think sometimes the fellowship activities um, is, is so, you know, we, we do less of that, and I wish we would do more. You know, at St. James, we have um, Easter breakfast, mm-hmm. and we have a picnic um, in the end, towards the end of summer, early fall. We have a church picnic. And for me, that's not enough. You know, that's only two fellowship activities where the congregation, you know, sort of fellowship with each other without this monologue from the pastor, either teaching in Bible study or preaching a sermon. Mm-hmm. You have to have more activities where there is dialogue, where the people get to know each other. A Christian fellowship, essentially. Right, right, right. Ian, have you run into that at your church back in South Carolina? Uh, yes, absolutely. How do you handle it there? Uh, 
Well, I know that uh, my pastor, my dad, <laughs> he made an effort to uh, make sure that we had events after the church service, and people would stay and mingle and talk to each other, and I think that, that was, helpful. was really helpful and important. Right, right. Right, and then then they would know each other that yeah. way. Yeah. Well, my church in California, uh, uh, our our Savior's community it was called. They used to do that too after service, as there would be uh, coffee and cookies out in the uh, in, uh, in the narthex. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, people always went to that. There'd be coffee, cookies, maybe some donuts, and there was uh, a little bit of of a get together type thing right, there. And we had right. notices on what was going on. Like we had a we had adopted a. Uh, a uh, a missionary in uh, oh gosh I think it was a Turkmenistan ah and so we we would get updates on what was going on in that uh, that group and things like that okay good good so yeah but you know regarding the younger members too ah. you know you know part of what we are experiencing I I, I think is healthy families make healthy churches. Um, because the the church is also a family, very much so. You know, and uh, if we have healthy families that are a part of the church, then you would have a healthier church. Um, you know, looking back at my own childhood, um, I can see my parents. My dad wasn't a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, my dad didn't go to church. Um, my aunt that raised me, she didn't go to church when I was young either. Eventually, she became um, a churchgoer, but when I was a child growing up, she didn't go to church either. Now, this is in Jamaica, West Indies, and so we went to a, a Catholic school because the Catholic school was where you could uh, get a good education pretty much for free. Um uh, and or really cheap, or I mean, or, or for free. In fact, we didn't pay school fee when I went to the Catholic school. But of course, in the Catholic school, they would uh, teach you the, um, their catechism. Uh, they would try to get, especially young men, to become altar boys and eventually become priests. Um, a lot of the young girls were encouraged to become nuns. Um, but uh, if your parents weren't into it, like my father didn't go to church, my aunt didn't go to church, what I noticed happened as I became a teenager was the first thing I did was walked away from church. Mm. Between the age of about 15 and 21 were the years when I just didn't go to church. You know, there was a, a study that has just been uh, released both by the uh, Pew Institute and, of all things, an article in the Atlantic that was saying that uh, something like 40% of all births uh -huh. are from cohabiting couples. Uh-huh, right. And then when you throw on the single unmarried parent, the single women beyond that, we're, we're, we're talking close to 50% or even more. Right. We're back in, say, 1960. You had a lot more married people that were having children. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's a cultural shift here, too. Oh, yeah. When if you have a lot of single parents and parents that don't go to church, um, then it's as if uh, 
catechesis, and I'm probably sure your dad probably complained a lot about that also. Um, pastors tend to complain that um, confirmation is often seen as graduation. Yes. <laughs> you know. You know um, okay, that's it. You're going. <laughs> you know, I, I took my catechism class and I'm finished. I'm confirmed. I took my first communion. So I'm done with church. And, uh, you know, confirmation is not supposed to be graduation. You yeah. Know? It's, supposed it's like to, the beginning. It's supposed to be the beginning of, of, a, of, a, of a more um, relationship with the church where you know what's going on. Um, because you have been taught the, 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 you know, the doctrine from from in um, from in Sunday school, and now catechesis happened, and you're supposed to understand the basic of Christian doctrine. Uh, but uh, too often, confirmation is seen as graduation, and that's usually when a lot of the young people leave. Well, this was a a really important area, I think, where the Walter League filled that gap. Good. You know, we would go in for our for confirmation class and usually get first confirmation. Say, about, I think mine was at the age of 14. Uh-huh. And, uh, but the Walther League kept us involved Good. beyond that yes. up, into, up through our adulthood by the time we got out of high school and started college. Yes. And so we had that continuing link to the congregation. Yes, yes. I know nowadays they have something... Um, <clears throat> that I guess replaced Walter League. I think they call it the, the Higher Things Retreats. I don't know if you, heard, you ever heard about those. Yes, I, yeah, I've been higher, to some of those. You've been to some of those. Yes. And I think that's um, the idea behind Higher Things Retreats is to get um, Lutheran young adults um, from all the different congregations to, to meet and to get to know each other. You know, and to form bonds or friendships that hopefully will last into adulthood, you know. But uh, I'm not, I don't know how effective that is in terms of keeping young people in our churches. I mean, Ian, are you familiar with that or have you participated in that? Uh, yes, I have been to one and I remember it was a really great experience. Not that I have like the facts of whether or not it helped people stay in church or not. <laughs> right. But you, you enjoyed yes, it. It was a great yeah. experience. Good, good. But how often does this happen? I think they said retreat happened once a year. Once a year. Yeah, I think so, which is not often enough. No. If it's that, if it's, do you, do you know if it happened more than that? I don't know. Okay. Um, but I've heard of it. I've seen, you know, when you look at some of your emails, um, you know, coming out from the synod or whatever, they talk about higher things and register, and you know, and you realize there's something happening. And uh, now we don't have young people at St. James; we don't have enough. I wish we had more, mm-hmm. um, but we don't have any to send. In fact, um, we had a, a the school teacher from Emmanuel came to advertise Emmanuel at our at our church and say, if you have children or if you know anybody that have children. You know, tell him about um, Emmanuel. And uh, now my granddaughter goes there. And uh, so now I'm on the list to do chapel. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian, you're in your, uh, you're out of high school now. You're taking the year to do this. And then you will go off to college, I assume. Is that correct? Yes. 
What are your plans to keep tied to the church while you're in college? Speaking as somebody who did things I really shouldn't have done when I went to college. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't make the mistakes I made, kid. <laughs> what, what are your plans to try to keep faithful to the church while you are in college? Well, really, I'll try to find a Lutheran church near the college that I go to. And that's definitely a factor in where I'm looking to go to college. Yeah. Yeah, I, I try telling my children that too, is, um, you know, try to find a Lutheran church nearby. Um, my One of my daughter went to um, Cornell, and um, she was able to find a, um, a Lutheran church not far from the university and went there. Now, here's something that um, we should bear in mind when we talk about uh, keeping young younger adults in church. It's important that um, we don't set stumbling blocks for them. Um, Because when my daughter went to that church near her university and uh, took two of her friends with her, um, you know, the pastor said something. He was trying to be funny, but um, didn't know how to be funny and ended up being offensive Mm. in what he said, you know. These are, you know college students, you know? And so I think it's important, too, that when we interact with young adults that um, we don't do anything that is going to be a stumbling block to to have them worship with us. Uh, we need to remember that they are adults. Um, and, yeah. you know, don't, you know, there is this... Um, have you ever seen that movie, Miss, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? yes. And one of the things he says, you know, these are young adults, you know, we don't talk down to them, we talk to them, you know. And uh, he was good at interacting with Mm -hmm. kids, that was one of his strengths. And so, you know, I think it's important that um, pastors don't do anything that's going to get in the way. And one of the ways you can get in the way, too, is if you are not prepared. You know, I think when when young adults walk into church, they expect something that is prepared. Um, and so pastors need to make sure they don't do anything to um, to become an obstacle and to make sure that they are prepared. Um, I also think one of the things that can be an obstacle is how adults act in church. Um, I served a parish in New York for a while where there was just so much bickering and fighting going on among the adults. You know, they had all these different boards and committees and, you know, all of a sudden it was like these adults came to church, not so much to worship, but they came to their little board or their little committee or their little clique. And then there was always this bickering and infighting that uh, that went on. Now, you know, they may think that uh, the young adults or, you know, when their children start to hit teenage years, they may think that they are unaware of this. They're not. And if they see adults behaving like that in church, that can be an obstacle. That can cause them to to walk away and go, you know, that's, a, that's what, you know, that uh, church is for adults to go and fight. <laughs> fight whatever battle they want to fight. So I think it's important that 
you know, you don't do anything that's going to be an obstacle to younger people work, um, continuing to go to church. And you want to keep it a place of worship. And I think a problem that we of the older generation have is we tend to be condescending sometimes toward younger people. And Ian, I apologize to you. I'm sure I have done it. And I have to recognize that you are an adult and you are a co-religionist of mine. And you have as much right and as much belief or more than I have. And this is something that I need to recognize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, we don't, we don't want to do anything that's going to be an obstacle, mm-hmm. you know. And I have seen that. I have seen that too often in churches that uh, have too many boards and committees. In fact, um, one of the things I like about St. James is that we don't have a lot of boards and committees. <laughs> and because of that, it's a place where people come to worship rather yes. than, you know, come to sit on a board or come to fight about something. It's a place where people come to worship, and that's what church needs to be. It needs to be a place of of worship. Now, when we talk about worship, um, there are those who would uh, advocate um, changing the way we worship um, and say, well, you know, the way we worship is not very attractive to young younger people. Um, and you know, there goes that uh, that argument in favor of contemporary worship. Mm-hmm. You know, there are churches that say, you know, we need to get rid of the vestments, get rid of the, the pipe organ. You know, get a band. <laughs> you know, that's going to be more entertaining for young adults, and uh, that will draw them and uh, and keep them. And some of our churches have gone in that direction, too. I am not an advocate of that. Personally, I would have to say I am not a fan of contemporary worship. Okay. I really enjoy our hymnody. Good. And when I go to a church for a church service, the first thing I look for is whether the pastor's investments or not. Oh, uh, good, good, good. I guess dad is vested, right? Yes. Oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to get Ian to come to St. James. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. What's your, what's your father's name? Uh, Christopher Berger. Christopher Berger. Okay, I'm, yes. I'm going to look him up. <laughs> you know, we have that book called The Lutheran Annual, and every pastor and the Rasta is in that book. So it's easy to find them, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but you're right. That you know, I think sometimes, you know, the belief is that if we um go more into a contemporary style of worship, mm-hmm. um, we can draw more of the, the young adults to, to church. Well, here, here here is the argument against it. Okay. Here's, here's one of the arguments against it that if church is supposed to be a place of worship, um, you don't want the emphasis to be on entertainment. Because if you're going to try to compete with the entertaining world, you're going to lose. Because the entertaining world can do entertaining way better than a church can. You know? Go yes, ahead. and I think when you... uh 
put the emphasis on entertainment, it sort of makes the whole church service, this contemporary service, feel superficial in a way. Oh, right. that, is, that is so on target. That, yeah, yeah. Right, because it's like, um, you know, the young adult now comes in and sit there as if, you better entertain me, you better be good. And if you're not good at entertaining me, I walk. You know, um, this becomes, you know, the approach rather than, rather than I am here because God is present in his word and in his sacrament. And, uh, you know, he's here to bestow again on me the forgiveness of sin, to work, nourish, and strengthen my faith in him. And I'm here to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, not just with my lips, but even after the service to offer those sacrifices of thanksgiving with my life. You know, there is uh, not like we are Christians Sunday morning for one hour. You know, I, um, I know our service run over quite a bit yes. because, you know, <laughs> we, you know, we don't watch the clock and go, we only give God one hour, uh-uh. you know, um, because, you know, we worship with our lives. You know, we offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. And so I'm not so sure, you know, the contemporary argument um, holds up. I think it, uh, it, um, it plays the emphasis in the wrong area. It uh, calls people to come to church for the wrong reason, to be entertained rather than to worship. Um, so that's one of the arguments against it. Now, there's, as we mentioned before, we went on the air and we were just sitting outside talking. I think sometimes when we sit out there, we should have the microphone on. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. Because some of the times when we're sitting out there in the couch, we say the most interesting things. But um, as I was uh, telling you earlier that... Uh, there is, uh, there were three churches in New York, not far from each other. There was Emmaus, and a good friend of mine um, was the pastor there, um, the Reverend John Orwell Stout. He was pretty confessional, pretty high church. And there was another church not too far, um, Redeemer uh, Lutheran Church. Um, pastor Callahan was there, and he was pretty confessional, pretty high church too. And then there was a St. John's Lutheran Church. And the pastor was more relaxed, more liberal. And he went in the contemporary direction. Um, so contemporary that you walk into St. John's Glendale, it was uh, uh, more like a stage with a band rather than, you know, pulpit and vestments or anything like that. It looked like a, a stage show. And... Uh, um, the music may have been really up, you know, fun. But, uh, and, and in fact, what happened was the the membership picked up quite a bit at St. John's. They grew. Emmaus remained the same. Redeemer remained the same. But uh, St. John's grew initially. And after a while there was this Pentecostal church that opened up like about a mile down the street. And their band was better than St. John's. And a lot of the members from St. John's went down the street to where the band was better. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I, I think it's important that if we are 
talking about bringing in young adults, we need to also bear in mind that we have, the emphasis has to be in the right place. Um, it can't be about entertaining. It has to be about proper doctrine. It's important that the people worshiping with us understand that we are Lutherans, what it means to be Lutheran. And if you are Lutheran, why are you Lutheran? I think that that's important. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, um, it's too easy for you to be pulled away by something that is more entertaining or to be pulled away by um, a doctrine that sounds more appealing. You know, sometimes you run into Christians that go, um, as long as you're a Christian, you get to commune. Well, um, that's not the way we, that's not what you were taught in catechism no. class. That it's not Christians that commune, but Lutherans that understand the correct, under, you know, have the correct understanding it's, it's of the fellowship. Yes, yes. And, and understand what the sacrament, that, you know, what the sacrament is. That Christ's body and blood is truly present, um, and we are receiving the forgiveness of sins, and we should come with contrite hearts and faith to the Lord's table. Um, but uh, too often, it's this broader view that you know, if as long as you are a Christian, you get to commune, and yeah. you know, then you know, you, you you muddy the waters when you start going in that direction. Uh, when people don't understand what it means to be Lutherans, why are we Lutherans, why we worship the way, you know, we worship. Um, in fact, one of the good things about um, LSB, the new hymnal, is uh, the glossary ah. in the front. Because I think sometimes, you know, we have terms in our hymnal and we say certain things and... Um, Maybe people don't realize yeah. what they're saying. for example. Yes, yes. You know, if, yeah, you know, we say in our liturgy, we say things like Hosanna. Yes. And there might be somebody going, well, why do we say Hosanna? What is that? You know, yeah. um, you know, or we say, you know, Lord God of Sabaoth, you know, what is, what is Sabaoth, you know? And I'm glad that you have this glossary in the front that at least will define those terms. And also, I think sometimes pastors need to incorporate those terms and explain them in preaching, in uh, in um, when they're giving children's messages. You know, because sometimes we go fishing around looking for something to 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 present as a children's message. And you go, maybe we don't need to go fishing. Maybe it's right there in front of us. Yeah. You know, because sometimes even. The, the children don't know what we are saying. And, uh, you know, when they grow up, and I'm pretty sure they're going to get challenged at some point when they go out. Somebody's going to go, oh, you go to church. You say this. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. And they're going to sit there, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. So I think it's important that we incorporate it in children's messages, incorporate it into our Bible studies, incorporate it into our sermons so that our people know more and more, and especially the young ones as they are growing up, why are they Lutherans? What does this mean? It's important. Well, we've got to take a break right now, but uh, we're going into some really interesting directions here with Wayne Lawrence and Ian Berger, and we'll be right back.
Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash careers. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. What is it that you want to share with us? Call the KFUO comment line at 314-996-1542. Tell us what we're doing right, wrong, or just leave a message with your thoughts on why KFUO is important to you. What would you like to hear on KFUO to make your listening experience better? You can call us anytime at 314-996-1542. Thank you for listening and sharing your thoughts with KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. The Toccata and Fugue in D minor is one of Johann Sebastian Bach's most identifiable works. But of all the music Bach composed and performed, nearly three-fourths of his 1,000 compositions were written to use in worship, including Yesu Joy of Man's Desiring, a hymn sung even today. Bach's compositions were mostly sacred music and centered around biblical themes. His oratorios were numerous and often drew directly from the biblical text. The Ascension Oratorio, the Christmas Oratorio, and his St. Matthew's Passion from the Gospel of Matthew are among the most well-known. Johann Sebastian Bach, the musician, was, as one scholar put it, indeed a Christian who lived with the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Guests today are Pastor Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City, Missouri, and Ian Berger, who is a member of the Lutheran Young Adult Volunteer Corps. And we are talking about retaining young people in the church, trying to figure out what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And I hate to say it, but right now, looking at the overall scope, I think we're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and here's another thing, too, um, you know, um, that we should bear in mind. Look at Luther's catechism and look at the shift that has happened. Catechism classes now are taught by pastors um, to young adults when they're about 11, 12, 13. You, know, you get a lot of them together and you have this one big catechism class. 
And pastors, of course, you know, when they go to their circuits, um, they compare how big their confirmation or their catechism class is, you know. Um, but look at look at the reason Luther wrote the catechism. Luther did not write the catechism to be taught by pastors. It was for the head of the family. If you look at all the parts, it starts with as the head of the family should teach it in a simple way to his household. And, you know, if we go back to the way catechesis was supposed to be done in the home by the head of the house, um, then we can create healthier families. And if you create healthier families, then you can create healthier churches. Because it's it's an extension, you know, you move from your immediate family to your to your church family. And so when you have these dysfunctional or shattered families um, where catechesis isn't happening, then that's also going to show itself in the church itself when the church come together for worship. It's going to look like what they, the immediate families are. You know, if they are dysfunctional, the church are to look dysfunctional. If they, if they are shattered, the church look kind of shattered. You know, they one reflects on the other. So I think, you know, part of it is um, is going back to catechesis. You know, we learn from the scriptures that um, that if you raise a child up in a certain way, he won't depart from it. And I'm wondering how well are we raising our children um teaching them the catechism, you know? I wonder. Uh, I know in, in my family, uh, my mother was the one who was, who was doing the catechesis at home. I, she would, uh, everything from, from uh, reading Bible verses while, you know, at, for at bedtime and, yes. and leading in the prayers. I remember the wonderful Advent calendars we used to do, yes. things like that. But I look at my brother who went through the same thing, and he's completely fallen away from the church. Totally. Right. right. Well, and, and that, that we need to bear in mind that, you know, for people to say that you have a guarantee, you know, we understand that when God is dealing with us by his grace, um, he's vulnerable, he's resistible. And we have no guarantee that um, someone won't choose to walk away. You know, it is Calvin who taught that once saved, always saved. Lutherans don't teach that. We no. we, we understand that sinful man, um, you know, will sometimes let his sinful nature get the better of him. Um, you have no guarantee that someone won't grow up and decide to walk away. You you pray that they don't. Yeah, but, but I can guarantee you, when I walk away from that communion rail, yeah. by the time I got back to the pew, I've sinned. <laughs> I will have done something. I will have thought something. I did just. Yeah, you know, and, and that's why we emphasize too. You know, sin is not only what what I do. Um, sin is is what I am. Yeah. You know, why am I why am I growing old? Why am I gonna die? <laughs> um, because I'm a sinner. You know, it's what I am. So I, I I'm gonna grow old, and I'm gonna get sick, and I'm gonna die. You know, it's what I am, you know, but uh, grace is a reminder to me that um, even though I'm a sinner, mm -hmm. I'm not getting 
the hell and damnation I deserve, but I'm getting the life and salvation I don't deserve. Um, but, to, you know, to think that, um, okay, if we just do this, then we will be able to pull all these young adults in and keep them, mm-hmm. that there is some formula that we are missing, that if we come up with this formula and use it, it's going to work. Um, I don't believe that. You know, I don't believe that. I believe you can come up with gimmicks, and uh, gimmicks may attract people to that particular gimmick, um, but not necessarily make make them Christians or keep them Christians, because eventually that gimmick may go may get old. Yeah. You know, and then you know, then they're not going to show up anymore because I'm I'm tired of that now. Well, I want to ask Ian as our youth expert here. Actually, a two-part question, Leanna. What are we as a church doing wrong with young people, and what are we doing right with young people? I'm not sure I have an answer for that. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's not anything specific. Maybe Maybe it's a problem with the young people in the church themselves. Maybe we are lacking this sort of community between the younger people in our churches. Are you competing with a culture out there that is very... Um, seductive. Seductive, anti-Christian. Um, we're competing with, you know, with, with quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you, know, um, you know, as a young man, I remember, you know, what's the first thing that um, changed in my life? was girls look good <laughs> you know what i mean you know you know when you're a, when you're a little kid in kindergarten you know girls are icky you know but as you become a young man the first thing that looked good to you is girls you know i remember even though we went to catholic school um you and one of the things they they would do in jamaica is at that age when you hit high school they would separate um, the sexes, mm-hmm. you know, you have high school for the girls and high school for the boys. But even then, on the way home, what would they do? They like to go down to the bus stop and meet. <laughs> that became their meeting place. So you know, th- your interests, yeah. your interests, you know, expand be, um, in, in such a way that you know you have these other interests competing with faith. Well, I remember. <laughs> When I was a when I was a young guy in college, uh, the the coeds who had been in Catholic schools mm-hmm. were either really uh, shrinking violent timid types or just pardon the expression hell raisers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there are, oh boy, look, look, those yeah. are boys. You know. Yes, yes, yes. Um, in fact, um, you know. It was often said in Jamaica that, you know, the Catholic kids were notorious for being, yeah, hell raisers. They were pretty bad. Um, They would act up. Um, But there's a lot going on in in a young person's life and in the culture. Um, And so you're right. The church is competing with a culture. It is. And, uh, you know, so, but I, again, I would like to stress, you know, the importance of the home. I think a lot needs to start right there in the home. Healthy families 
you know, make healthier churches. Now, Ian's obviously got the, got the start on that. I have the start on it. You didn't. No, I did not. And, I did not, yeah. And, and you came to it. And, uh, but boy, I think with the situation we are facing now, where there really is a breakdown in the family, and I don't care how many people choose to redefine it, it's broken. It's broken. Anybody with eyes can see that. Yeah. And these are the very people who need the message of the gospel. Yes, yes. And it's, we got to get them. <laughs> I yes. wish I knew how to do it. Yeah, and you know that's that's um, the church's um, challenge is to preach this gospel in a broken world mm. to broken people. You know, um, professor did this for me once when I was at seminary. He uh, he gave us this exercise, and he says, I want you to study one word. Look it up all over the Bible. Look it up in the Greek, in the Hebrew, dikaiosine in Greek, zedeka in Hebrew, the word righteousness. And he said, study it and write a term paper. So we studied, we were seminarians, we wrote our term paper, brought it in at the end of the quarter, and uh, the professor said to us, never forget his name, Dr. Louis Brighton, you probably <laughs> heard of him. He says, what was the point of this exercise? I don't know. <laughs> and he said, I just summed up the Bible for you with one word, righteousness. Everything started righteous. God made a world that was right with him. Sin came into the world and it became unrighteous. And God is determined to make it righteous again. So yes, the world we are called to preach the gospel in is an unrighteous world, a broken world. A world where our relationship with God is first of all broken because of sin. And when our relationship with God is broken, then our relationship with each other also falls apart. Well, you know, that's, that's part of the, of the very basic tenets of Lutheranism. Uh, I have had pastors who have said that they'll, they'll have parishioners complain, well, I don't want to hear about me being a sinner. Mm -hmm. Well, excuse me. <laughs> you, right. You don't go to a doctor because you're healthy. Exactly. Exactly. And the fact is, we are all sinners. Well, all well, see, there you go again, because when you listen to a lot of um, TV preaching, mm. it's not about sin and grace. You know, it's about, you know, your better life tomorrow. You know, how can you, how can you make your life better? And people are more attracted to what can I do to make my life better rather than listen to this sin and grace message. But actually, that's the message that we need. Because the reason why our families are so shattered is because of sin. Oh, yes. You know, and uh, our relationship with God is not right. And so our relationship with each other is going to fall apart. Reconciliation begins at the cross. Reconciliation begins when we are reconciled to God and then... We can start to live reconciled life, like people that are reconciled to each other. Um, so you, you're right. The shattered family is 
is is what we're called to preach the gospel to. Well, one thing I think uh, Ian can play a very important role in uh, when you go away, when you get to college, uh, you can seek out some other Lutheran students. Uh, most campuses have got a Lutheran organization, and when you do that, you can share this message with them and get their views and and you know help to understand what it is that we are doing that we are sinners that we are not well right. as we know we're justified only through faith we can't do it on our own right. and maybe this is a way that you, could, you can start discussion groups with uh, with non-lutherans or even non-christians right and let them hear the message a lot of them don't want to hear it a lot of them will try to shut you up yeah. i'm glad you <clears throat> touched on that because you know sometimes people look at pastors as if it's your job to bring in young people. Mm. And actually, the church grows more from parishioners witnessing than pastors. Because parishioners, you know, you have your acquaintances, you have your friends. And if you witness to them, not only by preaching at them, because, you know, they'll shut the door if you go preaching at them, but part of your witness is how you live. You know, sometimes, you know, you know, Peter said, we should live in a way that begs the question. Yeah. Let someone ask you, what is the reason for the hope that is within you? And then when they, when the question is asked, then you give the answer. You have to be prepared to give that uh, answer in season and out of season, any time. And the other thing to remember is that you might not even be aware of the change that you are making in another individual. Right. Uh, right. I had an incident happen to me. Um, I ran into, you know, as I mentioned, I've been a journalist all my life. Mm. Um, I ran into a woman, oh gosh, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, apparently, I'd known her before. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> this is at a convention, at a, at a J convention, and she came up and threw her arms around me and thanked me so much for getting her started in journalism. I didn't know who the heck she was. <laughs> you know, I had to get, go search my nest, my memory. Yeah. Said, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember her. She worked with me 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes you have that impact and you don't no. realize that by your witness, by the way you live, um, you actually um, were able to influence someone. So, you know, I think, you know, it starts also with parishioners seeing themselves as witnesses, mm -hmm. you know, witnesses of, of of the faith, witnesses for Christ, you know, in the way they live and in the way they speak and uh, grabbing the opportunity sometime to to share their faith if that opportunity is available because you never know who you might right. influence. Ian, how are you going to show your witness in college? Uh, I'm putting them on the spot here. <laughs> well, how I've done it in the past is usually I just make friends with anybody, no matter what their religion. And eventually the question comes up. Right. I mean, I'm, I think it's important in a lot of cases, not to be the one to initiate. It. Yes, to initiate the conversation. People are much more open to listening to you when they're the ones with the questions. That's a great right. point. That's true. That's true. 
That's true. If uh, if because they, they are asking the questions, so now they're ready to listen to the answer. That's right. And and they'll notice. Yeah. They'll notice that maybe you can't hang out on Sunday. Right. Stuff like that. Right. Right. And also, too, I think sometimes you know, until you have listened to someone, you have not earned the right to speak. You know. And uh, when you listen to them, you know, sometimes when you listen to people long enough, you can hear the brokenness, you know, and then if you have earned the right to speak, then you can speak the gospel, you know, but it's a right that you have to earn. You can't just come barging in and, uh, you know, say, you know, well, here is my book, the Bible, you know, um, <laughs> I remember doing that to my mentor once and all I have to do is just prove to someone that, you know, the Bible is real. And he said, prove it, <laughs> you know, and then I couldn't prove it. And he go, no, until a person understand that he's a sinner in need of a savior. And then you point him to that savior. Even the Bible makes no sense to him. You know, then you can show him, well, once he understands the gospel, then you can show him, well, where, where do you find the gospel in the Bible? So then if the gospel is real, then the Bible is real, you know, or true, you know. Um, so, you know, you're right. I think that, you know, part of it is the home mm-hmm. and the witnessing of parishioners, um, you know, to acquaintances, um, to, to their friends. Um, how they live that Christian life among them, and how they share it, is is the starting point. But yeah, we are. It's a it's a um, uh, uphill fight. It is, uh, but I think Ian has really, really made a valid point here. Where what he does is he tries to make friends. Yes. And these people, you know, I I know it's true with me. I'm sure it's true. I hadn't really thought of it in this way, but. You know, sometimes people will sit back and say, gee, I wonder what made that person the way he is. Maybe I'll ask, why is he smiling about this? Why is he unhappy about this? You know, yeah. and yeah. then just open up the question. Right. And, and Ian's right. People are much more likely to listen if they're the ones asking the question. Right. My mother had a difficult time in, in the place where she worked. And uh, she had a boss that was really making life hate to tell you we got 30 seconds oh, okay <laughs> making life a living hell for her and uh, somebody asked her how do you stand it and she said well when i go to my bed i don't pray to Ines defensaker i pray to the lord jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> wonderful wonderful story ian Berger, pastor wayne lawrence i want to thank you so much let our audience know that you've been listening to The Pastor Is In. And today's guest pastor was Wayne Lawrence, St. James Lutheran Church in New City, and Ian Berger, our, our young volunteer here at KFUO. Until we meet again, God's blessings. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.